0: in the very coat of heaven. That's a remarkable transition. And that's what we see in the wider passage uh, this morning. And the Apostle Paul then goes to explain the repositioning of these people with these two words. But God. So this morning, I want you, I encourage you to to listen to the entire message this morning. But if you forget most of the things of this message, which is quite possible and quite likely we do, just remember these two words, alright? But God. If somebody asks you on tomorrow, or maybe this afternoon, what did that guy preach at your church today? I forget everything else, just these two words. But God. Okay? I will expand on on those two words this morning, because that is a remarkable change. I can tell you that because we see it right here in this passage. One of the well-known theologians says that this is his key phrase in the scriptures, but God, because here we see lots of things as we navigate our way uh, through this passage this morning. So I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 2 so we're going to look at the past we're going to look at also the transition that has taken place and then i will give you a summary and then we will conclude so friends the past chapter 2 1 to 3 you see the past there as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins you can look at that in the scriptures he addresses these uh, he addresses these to the believers and reminds them of who they were Paul goes on to give a diagnosis of the state of their lives prior to coming to know Jesus. It is as if one is being put through the spiritual CAT scan. It's as if there is a scan being done on your life. Now if you've been for a scan, a CT scan or whatever it is, you know that it will pick up everything that's going on in your, life, in your, in your body. Right. And here, I'd like us to see ourselves being put through, as if it were, the spiritual scan to diagnose the conditions of our hearts. And note the results, friends. What did the scan actually show? Was it frightful? Well, the report of this spiritual scan, if I may use that phrase, is very telling. It's very telling. One, it tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and in our sins. Okay, this spiritual scan tells us that we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Secondly, we were living and walking in the ways of this world. Thirdly, following the ruler of this world. Fourth thing, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. And five, Children of wrath. (laughs) Not the ideal scan, isn't it? Not the ideal report that you want to see. (laughs) It's not the best report. But really, that's actually the condition. And this scan is picking up these things that that has been in the lives of these people. So, let's unpack these aspects this morning. Dead in our transgressions and sins. As for you, you were dead. In your transgressions and sins. Obviously, friends, when we come into this world, we are alive, aren't we? Living and breathing human beings with hearts that are pumping. When a child is born, uh, the first thing is that the doctor would say, well, is everything okay with this child? He's breathing, it's, it's, it's all good. I'll share a personal story here. Because I did not have the opportunity of being... Uh, when the girls, being with Rose, when the girls were born in Sri Lanka, it was not the right thing, it was not the done thing to be there. I mean, I, I missed out, I really missed out in that sense. But anyway, when our son was born in Terang, I was there. That <laughs> was, was a very uh, special moment as well, we, of course, with all our kids. But when he was born, he's, uh, he's, well, he's got brown skin, and the, the doctor there said, oh, I wonder whether we need to give him any oxygen or anything like that. And I was beginning to worry. And then the, the midwife said, have you seen the father? <laughs> have you seen his color? Oh, yes. <laughs> in the country, I was the only brown guy there. Seriously. In fact, when I went, uh, when Rose was teaching uh, CRE in the local Primary School, or she was, in fact, teaching music. And I had to go and see her. And I stood at the front of the door of the class. And some kid cries out and says, oh, Mrs. Silvio, there's a brown guy at the door. That was me. Anyway, that's all right. That's okay. You see what I'm saying? The hearts are pumping. Life is moving and it's it's happening when a person is born. But Paul reminds them that they were dead. That is, they were spiritually dead. Like one writer says, we are DOA. Dead on arrival." That is, spiritually. And Paul reminds them of their pre-Christian state. Transgressions and sins. The word transgression is the word to trespass. It means to, to slip or to fall. It also has the meaning of going in the wrong direction. And, and it is true of, man, of mankind. Going in the wrong direction. Going in a direction that is not god's way the word sins mean or the word sin means to miss the target it is to miss the mark it is like a hunter who shoots his arrow and misses his target and so it is also with us we have missed the target a failure to hit god's target and what is god's target what is, oh, let me get to the previous one. Not this one. It's uh, it's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of God's, of the glory of God. You see, sin, Romans three twenty three is the falling short of the glory of God. We have missed the mark. Ever since Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the entire human race has fallen short. We are all affected by this terrible disease that is called sin. Okay? And it is quite possible today in churches that sin is not spoken of. <laughs> it's quite possible that it is a prosperity version of theology that, that is promoted. Come to Christ and your dreams, hopes and aspirations will be all fulfilled is like the Santa Claus. But sin has to be understood. Is it not the case? Because you and I will never understand, we will never understand grace. We will never understand the cross of Christ until we have grappled with sin. Is that clear? See, until we understand the effects of sin in our own lives. See, sin as affected all of us. People sin because we are sinners. It is not that we are sinners because we sin. (laughs) Right? It is not that we are sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Because we are sinners, friends. That is, since the fall of Adam and Eve, by their rebellion against God in the garden, We have inherited a corrupted condition called sin. I see the ugliness of sin in my own life. It's terrible what sin can do in a person's life. We now have a sin nature. And the New Testament says that we are under sin. We have a disposition toward wickedness. So that all we do, in fact, commit sins because it is our nature to commit sins. But that's not the nature that was originally given to us by God. We were originally innocent, but now the race has been plummeted into the state of corruption. And so these two words, transgressions and sins, combined together give us the picture of being separated from God... And falling short of God's glory and standard. That's what it is. And so we see the effects of sin in our own lives and in the world around us, don't we? We see it. And we don't call it for what it is. We try to psychoanalyze the world. We come with a different approach to humanity. And we come and we say, Oh, so and so has made a mistake or this or that and we make all kinds of excuses and not calling it what it really is. Sin. So these two words, this it falls short of God's standards. And because of this, the way we live is affected. And Paul continues in verse two, right? Living and walking in the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So, in this state of deadness, friends, Paul is saying, You used to walk in the ways of this world. That is, your conduct was according to this world. The word world is not a reference to the world as in creation, but to a social value system that is hostile to God. It is an opposition with God. Right? So, a Christian worldview. And the world's worldview is crashing, right? All the time because the world is in opposition. You as a Christian, as a young person or an older person, or wherever whatever age group you may be, you're trying to live a Christian life in the workplace. Okay? And you're trying to live a Christian life in uni and at school. And what happens? Is it easy? Is it tough to be a Christian in the workplace? I suspect it is. Why? Because you have these conflicting and opposite things taking place. Your worldview is shaped by Christ, our worldview is shaped by the gospel, so we think that way and the world's view is the other way. So we are crashing and a collision of ideas and ideologies that's always interfacing but at times a massive conflict. That's what's going on. See so the world, and Paul is saying that our transgressions, our sins, we all followed the ways of the world and we were enslaved by Satan. Look at the words the that is there. Of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So we see the second aspect here, don't we? The follower of the ruler of this world and the ruler of this world is a reference to whom? Who is it? To Satan. It's a reference to Satan. You see, following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, yeah, the word, uh, the, the word air yeah, that is translated is a foggy atmosphere. Suggesting some kind of un, uh, a hazy place, but a force is at work. It is a reference to Satan and his command of the principalities and the powers in the unseen world. You see, friends, the Bible describes Satan in the following. One, John chapter 12, that he is the ruler of this world. Two, Matthew chapter 9, he is the prince of demons. Second Corinthians chapter 4, he is the god of this world. In fact, Second Corinthians 4, if you look at that passage, and I looked at it in preparation here for this message, In in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, it's very telling. Paul says this, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So you have this, the satanic forces at work. Do you see that? And, and Paul will speak about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Satan is at work blinding the minds of the people. So we are at spiritual war in, in, in some sense. Very telling. He's at work. Bringing evil and destroying minds. A spiritual warfare which we will see later on in Ephesians chapter 6. In fact, not chapter 4, but chapter 6. Satan is at work in the children of disobedience. He dominates and he energizes the spiritually dead. And therefore this leads to the next thing in this verse. And that is verse three. All of us also lived among them at one time, doing what? Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desires and desires following its desires and thoughts. Think about it before you became a Christian. How was your life then? Think about it today if you're a Christian. Has it changed? What has changed? What has actually changed? And why has it changed? And who has brought about that change? That's what. We see in this text, we lived gratifying. The word flesh does not refer to our body, but to our fallen nature that goes after these, these things. The sins of the flesh. Now, if, you give, if I want to give you a, a, a brief list, a list of these things, it might mean lust, it might mean greed, it might mean laziness, selfishness, sexual sins. Now, we all struggle with it today as redeemed people of Christ. We all struggle with it. But the point here that Paul is saying is, you used to live with these things. As the top priority in your life. They were the things that you went after. That was your way of life. You lived gratifying these things. You lived for greed. You lived for selfishness. You lived for all of these things, wanting only your, 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 the, the issues in your life to be filled with these things. But now, We'll see what has taken place as well. Like the rest of us, Paul says, we were by nature deserving wrath. Look at that text please, verse 3. Paul concludes that we were children deserving wrath. Like the rest, we by nature deserving wrath. How can anyone speak of the wrath of God today? (laughs) Perhaps you might say, Chris, are you absolutely serious? Get real, Chris. Please, get real. We are in 2015. How can you speak of the wrath of God? Don't you understand the world has changed? Don't you understand that God is only the God of compassion, the God of mercy, the God of love, the cuddly God that he is? He's a Father. How dare you speak about the wrath of God? Well, read a great book by Jonathan Edwards on the wrath of God. It'll give you a good understanding of it. But we don't need to read that book. We see it in the scriptures here. The Bible speaks of the wrath of God. We cannot speak of the God of grace, the God of love, the God of compassion, the God of mercy, if we ignore him as the God of wrath. Clear? There is no cross... Without the wrath of God for sin. See God is holy and he takes sin absolutely serious. And Paul says that we were deserving wrath. We deserved nothing else but the wrath of God. Think about that for a moment, friends. We, you and myself deserve the full justice and the punishment. For my sin, I deserved the wrath of God. When I was preparing this message, I, I, I took time out to say, Lord, thank you. That I deserve this wrath. I deserve your full justice. I deserve your full punishment. But I thank you that I don't deserve it now anymore because of what you've done. Do you see that this morning? His full justice and punishment. John Stott, uh, the great theologian, says says this. Paul first plumbs the depths of pessimism about man. However, after he has done this, he also rises to the heights of optimism about God and how his grace saves sinners. And so now, friends, if we leave the message there at at verses 1 to 3, we'll be very depressed, right? (laughs) You'll go out of this place feeling absolutely depressed. Spiritually shattered. Now, look with me, please, in verse 4. Remember, I said two words. What were the words? But God. Oh, 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 oh. This is, this is the key here, friends. Notice, but God. Being rich in mercy and so forth. Verse 5, notice these two words, but God, as terrible as the picture is of our fallen human nature is, this word, but God, tells of the transition. Here is the magnificent, here is the most amazing, the most fantastic transformation and transition that has taken place in the life of a believer. You remember this, friends, this was my life in the past, this is how I lived Under the prince of the power of this world. And gratifying the sinful natures, uh, sinful cravings of the flesh. Lost, waiting for the wrath of God. But God has done something. How wonderful is that? God took the initiative then. And he takes the initiative now. God is the initiator. He has not left us in our state of fallenness. Has He? No. No. He acted. And why? Uh, Look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. God is rich in mercy. In the Old Testament, God is frequently characterized as the one who abounds in mercy. And Paul says, God is rich. Absolutely rich in mercy. And His mercy is for the sinner. And He does not give us what we deserve. Because He loves us and He shows us mercy. Because He cares. The second thing Paul says is because of His great love. This is love that God has expressed to those Who rebel against him. This love is not towards the innocent. No. It is towards those who have rebelled against him. And maybe think, and we may think, friends, that God should never love me because of what I have done or who I am. I I met, met some people who have said that to me. I don't think God can love me. I am such a bad person. My life, I've done things that I should never have done. And I don't think God should love me. Have you ever thought about that? You see, the text is saying, and Paul is saying, He loves you. He's shown mercy. But because of His great love, He acted. And how did He do this, friends? How did God show His mercy and love? Here it is in Romans 5 Verse 8. How does it start again? Remember our sermon title? But God. What do we see there? But God. Demonstrates his own love for us. In this, while we were perfect, Christ died for us. Is that what the text is saying? (laughs) I'm just, just sticking you out, okay? While we were still sinners. But God. That's the amazing thing. This is the love of God. That God reaches down. And he speaks his love. And he shows his love. And he's demonstrated his love at the cross. At the cross. Greater love has no one than this, the one who laid down his life for us. See, on this Anzac weekend, friends, we as a nation commemorate, and think, 100 years since the Anzacs landed at Gallipoli which was the first major engagement in the First World War. We think of the many Australians, Australian casualties of which many lost their lives. Yesterday, Sean and myself, we went for the dawn service. It was kind of very special to be there. To hear the hymns, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on your side. To hear the other great hymn, Abide with me, fast falls the eventide. When darkness comes upon, abide with me. And you see, it reminds us, isn't it, of the sacrifice of what people have done, yes, and we enjoy that freedom today. Freedom is never won without a cost paid for it. And we remember today, those who gave their lives so that we can enjoy the freedom. But we also remember, friends, today the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom. When we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lens to which God extends his mercy and his amazing love to free you and to free me. Have you been set free this morning by Jesus? Have you been set free from the power of sin as it were? Set free of the shackles that holds you down? Charles Spurgeon said this, we would almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. A, it's an amazing statement there. We would almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. See, this text reminds us his love for you and for me. The cross is the heart of the gospel. It makes the gospel good news. Christ died for us. Jesus has stood in our place before God's judgment seat. He has borne our sins and God has done something on the cross that we could never do ourselves. And through the cross, he persuades us that he loves us. Here's the depth of his love. And Paul doesn't stop there, friends. That he made us alive Together with Christ. He's made us alive. Remember the story of Lazarus? Remember that? Lazarus was absolutely dead for how many days? He was in the tomb three days there, Lazarus. And what did Jesus go and do to Lazarus? He went to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus couldn't come out himself. It was the supernatural power that raised Lazarus from the grave. It's the same omnipotent power that raises us from our spiritual deadness. This is what it means to be made alive in Christ. It is an amazing work of God. One writer puts it this way man is radically dead, and he can be saved only by the radicalness of resurrection. He's made alive. The first reading, John chapter 3, Nicodemus. To be born again by the Spirit. That's what Christ does. He makes us alive. He changes our hearts. He will raise us from our deadness. And no work can accomplish this inner change. A dead person cannot will himself or herself to life from death. Cannot do that. I remember uh, doing a funeral one day. I had to officiate at a a funeral parlor. And I said to uh, the undertaker... Uh, is there a room that I could go and you know, have a glass of water and you know, adjust everything and be ready for the service? So I went into the back room and there was a mirror and there was water and I turned around and behind me was a coffin. The lid was open and there's a dead lady there in that room. And so I am there in this room, coffins open, the body there. That person couldn't bring herself back to life. No matter which, she can't. When you're dead, you're dead. And so also we are spiritually dead. We can't do nothing to cause us to be raised to life again. Jesus does it. And he raises us through the Spirit of God. He brings regeneration, brings the new life in you and me. And brings us a life alive. This is what Paul says later on, isn't it? But is the measurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. We will be made alive, friends. In 1 Corinthians, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Made alive in Christ. Made alive in Christ is to have eternal life. Life in heaven. Friends, but God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, Made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. I'll touch on that grace next time. What a tremendous statement that is. What a joy, what a comfort, what a hope, what a tremendous blessing it is to know this is our God. Are you thankful to Him this morning? Are you grateful to this God? Well, in summary, Well, what have we seen this morning? We have seen this morning what the past looked like without Jesus. For the Ephesian Christians and for us. Dead in our transgressions and sins. Living and walking in the ways of this world. And of the ruler of this world. Gratifying the cravings of the flesh. Children of wrath. Did God leave us this way? No. As grim and terrible this picture is of fallen mankind. this word, These words but God gives us the magnificent change. A change that God has done. Because of his mercy, his great love, he made us alive in Christ. God reaches out in mercy and love. He raises us with Christ, giving us eternal life, abundant life, life to live. We're called from death to life itself. How about you this morning, friends? Have Have you experienced the mercy of God? Have you experienced God's love for you? If you are living a separated life from him. Then come to him this morning. Repent of your sin. Your rebellion against him. And trust in Jesus. His son as your savior. Because if you receive Christ. You will be saved. As I conclude. This morning. Remember these two words. But God. All right. And remember this he has shown us and I thought I'd personalize it for a moment. He has shown me. Put your name there. Please, for a moment. Put your name there, alright? He has shown Chris. He has shown Tim. He has shown put your name there. Shown me mercy. He has loved me. He has made Me alive with Christ. He has shown me grace. And What do I do? I respond and I say, Lord, thank you. And how do I live? I want to live my life in gratitude. In serving Him. In loving Him. And following my Savior. Because He has done it all for me. But Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you have made us alive in Christ. We deserved your wrath. We were dead in our sins. But God has done it all. May we just reflect upon that this morning. The quietness of our hearts, Lord. And Father, we pray this morning. that is anyone here who does not know of the mercy of God. The richness of God's love. That today might be the beginning. Of a new journey of faith. For those of us who know you. Fill our hearts with gratitude. And thankfulness for you. That we rejoice. We rejoice in the gospel. That we are redeemed. By the. By Jesus Christ himself. has shown us mercy and love. And justice. Everything. In Jesus name. Amen.